0: Amen. We thank you for the life that is found in you, Lord Jesus. And we pray now as we come to your word, open our hearts together. Great God, we want to hear from you this morning and that you would find in us people with a responsive heart. All that you have for us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. We are really blessed to have our guest speaker, Carl Faye, sharing with us. He's come all the way up from Sydney just to be here with us for Grandparents Sunday. Um, they are actually uh, under Olive Tree Media. Carl is a sought-after Christian communicator, media presenter, social commentator, and uh, travels all around Australia all of the time. So thank you, Carl, for taking the time to be with, here with us. And in, in some exciting news coming out of Olive Tree Media, in fact, is the release of Jesus the Game Changer Two. And as a church, a whole church, we did Jesus the Game Changer. a Tremendous blessing for us. It is literally hot off the press, isn't it? Just been released. These are actually available in the uh, foyer after the service like to purchase this, I think it's at a special pre-release sort of purchase price, you can grab those today as well. A couple other things I do want to mention is a book that Carl's just recently released as well called The Stuff of Life, that'll be available out there and something special for Grandparents Day, there's actually a book for kids here as well called Game Changers, World Shakers and Real Life superheroes. So stories of people who have impacted, influenced the world because they followed Jesus, especially designed for kids. So that's a great one. Uh, grandparents, maybe want to grab that for your grandkids or parents for your kids today as well, but these are available. But as Carl comes to share with us, and um, we've actually got a little media clip, a little um, uh, highlights clip, I guess you'd call it, of the Jesus the Game Changer 2 that's coming out. So let's turn the screens and just check this out together right now.
1: The spread of Christianity across the centuries is a remarkable story. From a backwater in the Roman Empire to become a truly global faith. It transcends cultures, social classes, language, and
0: ethnic groups. The question we should ask is, what did the people who were most close to Jesus do after his ascension to the Father? And the answer is, they went on mission. Go and preach the gospel. Make disciples.
1: But what compelled ordinary people to face difficulty, danger, and even death to take the message of Jesus to the ends of the earth?
0: Is this idea of going where the gospel is not yet.
1: I was living in darkness, and Jesus bright light to my life.
0: The ends of the earth is is Jesus' way of saying no one is exempt. When you know that Jesus loves you and your sins are forgiven, he can't help but share it.
1: Jesus the game changer to the ends of the earth follows the movement of Christianity around the world, telling some of the great stories of vision, faith, and sacrifice. Our plea
0: for the church in the West is never to give up this faith that we are dying for in Africa it will take some cost. Are we really bringing the whole gospel
1: in a way that is
0: salty and light-bearing? You
1: know, Christianity, in the face of persecution and opposition, has actually taken this message to the ends of the earth. As people have talked about the life and teaching of Jesus, it's become a global game changer. Difference is dissolved. Christ has come for the whole of humanity. The true missionary activity is, is not to find people who've never heard of Christ, but to go to the places where people have known and forgotten.
0: Now, it's our time. Wow, doesn't that look good? That looks fantastic. We are looking forward to doing that as a church at some stage. Carl, come on up here with me. I gave all his credentials, but his most important is that he is actually a grandfather as well, which is important on Grandparents Sunday. Grandfather to five grandkids. Right. Five grandkids. Church, could you put your hands together and give Carl a really big welcome this morning? Thank you,
1: Michael. Thanks, Michael. It is so good to be here. It is so good to be in this new building. It is so good to watch our trailer on that screen. Is that not gorgeous? Uh, I actually started my first job in a church when I was 21 and I actually remember being the youth speaker. And now I'm the speaker at Grandparents Sunday. <laughs> I've made it. How good is it to be here? It's a uh, thank you Nathan for the opportunity and the invitation. It's great to be sharing with you. If you're a grandparent and you're here this morning because your family or a grandchild asked you to come Good on you. Well done. If you're a grandchild and you're here because your grandmom or granddad, pop or nan, said please come to church with me and you came, well done. It's great that you're here and it's great for us to share together and I'm um, looking forward to sharing with you. It's interesting. One of the things I want to start out is talking about the fact that we live in a world that's kind of outraged about everything. Have you noticed that? It's just like outrage everywhere about everything. There's contentious politics, whether it's Trump in the U.S. or it's Brexit and Boris Johnson in the U.K. Everybody seems to be outraged by politics, and then there's the whole kind of issues that are happening all the time, like the, the, the climate issue, which is a serious issue, and you have the uh, extinction rebellion group of people that are both trying to seek to bring more outrage and to express their concern of the, the globe while at the same time annoying absolutely everybody. There was a, there was a, there was a clip uh, on one of my social media feeds of a place called Canning Hill. It's a, a station on the London tube and two outraged uh, Extinction Rebellion people were on the top of the tube train, stopping the tube train from going. And basically the, the station packed with people hauled them off and they cut off the video before they saw what happened, but I don't think the outcome was good. I'm not sure they're quite uh, expressing too much of their outrage on the top of London tube trains anymore. There's, There's a kind of identity politics and identity issues in everybody's outrage, outrage culture. And the question is, in the midst of outrage culture where everybody's angry, and you know, as a parent and as a grandparent, You kind of get sucked into that because you love your kids and you love your grandchildren so much that when something goes wrong for you, what happens to you? You're outraged. You want to see justice, you want to see the right thing done. I remember growing up and I get married, and you know, you get a bit more vulnerable when you tell your wife you love her and you want to marry her, and then if something goes wrong, you know it's going to break your heart, and you think you've got it all sorted, and then you have a child. And you hold this baby in your arms and you think, if anything goes wrong with you, my life is broken. We had three of them. Why would you do that three times? <laughs> Nathan, what's wrong, man?
0: <laughs> like,
1: come on. And, and, and you sort of get a handle of that. They all become teenagers and you're ready for them to leave. And they grow up and get married and that's wonderful. And then they have children. It starts all over again, doesn't it? You hold that grandchild in your arms and you think all over again, if something happens to you, I'm broken. And the intriguing thing is that that leaves us vulnerable in all sorts of ways and it leaves us vulnerable to outrage. Because when something goes wrong, we want to see justice. You know, there was a a story in the paper that kind of broke that cycle wasn't, it was probably more on social media. I'm not really sure that it hit the papers that much. This clip has been watched by literally thousands and thousands of people across the, ro- across the world. It, it was a, the background of the story is a, a, a lady's name is Amber Geiger. She's in the late 20s, and she was a police officer with the Dallas police. Many of you may have seen this clip. And Amber Geiger came home after a double shift with the Dallas police force. She still had all the police gear. She went to her apartment, The interesting thing about her apartment building is that all the floors are mirrored. So she got off on the wrong floor. She was the floor above her floor, but she thought she was going to her door, the door of her apartment. When she got there, she was unnerved by the fact that the door was unlocked. When she walked in, there was an intruder in her apartment, a black man in her apartment. She drew her service revolver and shot him dead. She was in the wrong apartment. In the apartment was Botham Jean, 26, accountant, sitting on his own couch in his own apartment watching the football. He died that day. There's quite a contentious court case about what should happen to Amber Geiger and in the end she was found guilty and sentenced to 10 years in jail. And as often happens in Australia and America and other parts of the world, they they had victim impact statements. So the opportunity for family members to make their statement and before uh, uh, um, um, Botham Jean's mum had made a statement, I'll come back to that. And then there was a statement by Brant Jean, 18-year-old younger brother of Botham Jean. And it's just a shot in a courtroom where he sits at a table and he says, I feel nothing bad for you and I want nothing bad for you. He said, I know what my brother would want. My brother would want you to know Jesus. I want you to know that I don't feel any ill towards you. And as only an 18-year-old young man, as a black young man could say, he turns to the judge and says, can I give her a hug? And the judge says, yes. And he walks forward, and they embrace. The younger brother of an innocent man shot in his own apartment by a service revolver of a stressed, tired young woman who was now going to face 10 years in jail. And that went viral because we know what it was. In the midst of outreach culture, there was an expression of grace and forgiveness and care. Now there's numbers of layers to this story because both and Jean's mother made quite a different statement. She wanted Amber Geiger to reflect on her actions in the 10 years that she would be in jail. There were many commentators, and this kind of always happens. There's commentators and everything, isn't there? Anything that happens, there's a commentator. And there was also all sorts of commentators making, making statements about the fact that, you know, a black young man uh, forgiving a white police officer, there's something wrong with that. There was all sorts of issues involved with that. And yet, if you stripped all of that away, if you stripped all of the other commentary and difficulties with American society between races and stripped it all away, what have you got? Somebody extended grace somebody extended care somebody broke the cycle of outrage and that's always been happening hasn't it that's like, that's not a new thing it's not like oh wow what a new thing somebody's done something nobody's ever done before in fact there was a story written a number of years ago that demonstrated that same thing in a culture that was not just overrun by outrage. They were overrun by violence. This, ri- this story was written in the 19th century and it was written by a guy called Victor Hugo. It's interesting for in church, but this story is not a Christian story. It's not written by a Christian, but it has elements of grace all over it. Victor Hugo, for those of you who are smart and bright and, and do a lot of reading, you will know the name Victor Hugo. For those of you who just watch popular culture, you might have heard of the uh, the musical, um, probably even less, you might have heard of the movie, Les Miserables. Les Miserables was written by Victor Hugo. Now, what's interesting about Victor Hugo is he was incredibly famous across France. Victor Hugo, when he died, they put his his body under the uh, Arc de Trompe at the end of the Champs-Élysées for several days, kind of lying in state. And then they took his uh, body across the Seine, Seine River up onto the Pantheon where he was buried. And when he was carried there on the back of a carriage, there were more than a million people who lined the streets as Victor Hugo's coffin was taken and laid in rest. He, he was an icon of the French nation. He was not a Christian. I believe he must have been a theist, but he's not even talking about theist as someone who kind of believes in God in some way, shape or form. So Hugo grew, grew up and, and lived through the French Revolution And this was a bloody revolution. And and the revolution, you can understand why there's a revolution. There were said to be three estates in France. One estate was the one of the noble, the other was the one of the clergy, and the rest of the people were the third estate. 95% of the people were in the third estate. No power, no influence, just had to put up with the, the decisions, the rulings, and the taxes of the wealthy estates. There's actually a well-known quote (laughs) where a guy said, I want the guts of the last noble to strangle the last bishop. There's an outrage culture, and the clergy were not in a good space. So in the middle of all of that, in the middle of all this contention, in the middle of blood and rebellion and death and killing and one group taking over another group in the 18th century of France, Victor Hugo decides to write a novel that might break the cycle of outrage. So he writes Les Miserables. I haven't read all of Les Miserables. It's 900 pages in English and 1,400 pages in French. It's a long book. I'm going to give you a summary of just a couple of the people and issues within Les Miserables because there's a whole bunch of subplots. But essentially the book starts, with the, I'm told, with the first couple of hundred pages about a bishop. a bishop who's quite different from any other bishop all the nobles that were in power, a bishop who was given a huge building, but the building was too big for him to live in, so he moved out to a smaller house and gave the, the building over to a hospital. Here is, here is Victor Hugo setting up this bishop as a person of virtue. He, he set up and he, he's, his house, and his small house, people would often come and visit, and he cared for the poor, and he cared for the needy, he cared for the third estate. The other is Jean Valjean, now, most of you will know this. If you watch the movie, you'll know that uh, uh, Hugo, what's his face? Rent—you know, I'll have that right in the second service. Uh, the great Australian uh, stage actor who's so great. I can't think his name. And uh, thank you. Um, there's all these people yelling out, but you all yell at the same time. I can't hear you. Um, but that's partly because I'm a grandparent and I'm getting deaf. Uh, so... John Valjean was in jail for 19 years he was in jail for 19 years Hugh Jackman thank you he was in jail for 19 years because he'd stolen bread for his family he was caught stealing bread for his family and there for his jail do you see the kind of level of injustice we've got here and it goes on for 19 years and eventually he gets out. He's an angry guy. He gets out. He's given, at that time you were given a yellow passport, which meant so you're an ex-convict or an ex-prisoner and therefore he can't get any work. He's literally starving. He's got nowhere to stay. He's got no options. And he goes to the bishop's house and asks for food and a meal. When he gets to the bishop's house, the bishop invites him in, gives him a meal, and allows him to stay the night in the house. He looks around; and there's gold ornaments everywhere around the room. Then, looking, looking at all these gold ornaments around the room, he just can't help himself, and he decides that he would steal these ornaments and take them for himself. So he grabs in a bag, leaves, steals out of the house in the middle of the night off to his future to sell these and get an option, but he's caught by the police. And the police ask why he's got it. He's told, he tells them that he was given them. He gets to, so they haul him back to the bishop's place, through the door, thrown on the floor, the bag of ornaments. There he stands. The bishop is standing in front of him. And there's every opportunity he would go back to jail, perhaps forever, given his history. And uh, Victor Hugo unfolds this story where the police say, did you give these ornaments to this man? Just say the word and he's away for good. All you have to do is mention the fact that he's stolen these and he goes away. There we we know his future. We know what's going to happen to him. That's what we want. And the bishop looks at Jean Valjean and he turns and he picks up two massive gold candlesticks. And he turns back to the police and Jean Valjean and he says, yes, I gave them to him but he forgot the best. Take these as well. Breaks the cycle. The police leave. Jean Valjean is standing there in front of the bishop. And I want to say this now, I'm going to come back to this. This is this is kind of put into the musical. Remember this, my brother. This is what the bishop says to Jean Valjean. Remember this, my brother, see in this some higher plan You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion of the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. He's free, but he's caught. He's extended grace, but the bishop is saying, I have caught, I have caught. Captured your soul for God. If you know the story, Jean Valjean goes on to start a business. He breaks parole, which I'll come back to, starts a business, employs lots of people. There's the whole story of Corset and Fontaine, and it's all very complicated, which I won't go into. But the intriguing thing was in this story, Victor Hugo has made the bishop the hero of the story. Now, Hugo's family were actually very upset about this. Hugo's son was complained to his father. Why would you make a bishop the hero of the story? Why not make a judge the hero of the story, a lawyer, a doctor, anybody, seriously, but a bishop? Why would you make a bishop the hero of the story? And we don't really know the answer to that. But there's something about the Christian message. There's something about the grace of the Christian message that Victor Hugo wants to bring into the heart of this story and say, we know what we need. We need grace. And the reason we need grace is there's another character, Javert. And and Javert is is a a guy who has grown up, interestingly, his family were in the same prison. You know, this is in the story that Victor Hugo has written. His family grew up in the same prison that, that John Valjean is held in. He, he, uh, he's, not a, he's a prison officer, he becomes a policeman, he becomes an inspector of police. And Javert is the sort of guy who believes that justice must be brought, that there's a criminal class, the criminal class can't be changed, there's a darkness in their heart and something needs to happen and the thing that needs to happen is they need to have justice brought in their life and justice through the police and prison system will change them and they must be brought to justice. Javert is, is seen in the movie, the the the, the book is, is kind of demonstrated as someone who's sort of pretty angry, wants justice, is, is chasing after Jean Valjean. But what we need to understand is there's a bit of Javert in all of us, isn't there? You know when you watch a movie and you, you're set up by this, by the movie makers, that you watch a movie and... All the way through the movie, the, the, the negative figure, the villain figure, the bad guy in the movie is getting away with it and getting away with it and getting away with it. In the end, something happens. He's thrown off a building, run over by a truck, blown up, and inside you go, yes. You know, the time when you, something happens which is just wrong and you want to see justice, when something happens to your child or your grandchild and you want to see the things made even... You want that person to go to court. You want that situation to be changed. You want that person to be in jail. You want justice. When you want that, you've captured Javert. Because there's a lot of Javert in all of us. We're kind of wired for justice. We want to see it happen. And the intriguing thing about the movie and the book that, that Hugo, Victor Hugo weaves so beautifully into the story He's in the middle of a, a, a riot, in the middle of, of uh, the, the students trying to take over Paris and France, and there's barricades, and there's war, and there's police. Javert has kind of made his way into where the rioters are. He's on the wrong side of the barricades. He's on the other side of the barricades of the police. He's trying to get behind enemy lines to bring down the rioters. And in the, in the interaction... Javert and Valjean know who each other are and Valjean is on the side of the rioters and they come face to face and all Valjean has to say is this is a police inspector and his life would be gone, he would be killed and Valjean lets him go there's grace the grace that Valjean had experienced from the bishop he now extends to the guy who is chasing him and wants him in jail Guess what happens to Javert in the story, the movie? He goes out and within a short period of time, takes his own life. His whole world is unraveled by grace. His whole life and, and all he stood for, all collapses. How can this guy who is evil and bad and dark in his heart extend grace to me I, the police inspector, I, the person on the side of the right, I, the one on the side of justice, how does he extend grace to me? His whole world falls apart. And he takes his own life. Here is Victor Hugo breaking the outreach culture in a murderous and contentious and rebellious and bloody France. He tells a story, then puts grace at the center of the story. The interesting thing is we we need to, to struggle with what grace means for us. We sang songs at the beginning of the this, this, this service. Uh, if, you, if you don't come to church much or if you come all the time, you'll know the sorts of worship songs that churches sing. And, and they were uh, demonstrating the first songs that we sang. What were they songs about? They were about freedom. They were about being set free by what Jesus has done for us. We believe that Jesus' death on the cross... And resurrection was not just a moral example that people can look to and go, there's a good person. I should emulate the life and teaching and values of that person. Now we think something else happened. We believe a transaction happened. And the transaction was we went from death to life. We went from being held in the wrong that we do and freed to be in a relationship with God. We believe in that action. Life for all of us changed. Grace was extended. But it's interesting that we do different things with that grace because sometimes what we end up doing is that we treat grace as a ticket to be free of everything go back to what did what did the bishop say to Valjean what was the key that the bishop said to Valjean God has raised you out of darkness I bought your soul for God we're not just freed by grace we're captured by grace And that's the point that Paul wants to make to a church at Corinth. Corinth was a really important city in the the, the, the Roman Empire at the time. Uh, The the, the church itself was a a little dysfunctional, one could say. You know, every time people say, we want to get back to the early church. I don't know if you've heard people say that. "We We need to change the church. We have to get back to be more like the early church. Every time I hear that, I think... Well, I bet they didn't have Corinth in mind. This was a terribly, terribly dysfunctional place. And they had all sorts of interesting ideas. And, and in, in 1 Corinthians chapter six, it actually, actually just near a passage where a prominent Australian rugby union player quoted, which wasn't very good for his career prospects. That's this same passage. And in my version of the NIV, they've just changed it recently to the new versions, where in verse 16, sorry, verse 12 of chapter 6, Paul makes this quote, everything is permissible for me. Everything is permissible for me. In the newer versions, they're just two words added, which is, you say, everything is permissible for me. Uh, Gordon Fee, who's the commentator, says this was a slogan for the Corinthian church. Everything is permissible for me. I've been freed from the past. I've been free from, from my sin. I am right with God in the person of Jesus. I am truly free. And they took that to mean license. It means I can live however I like, I can do whatever I like. I'm free in Jesus. There was another piece to this puzzle as well. They had this Gnostic idea that what I do in the body doesn't impact what I do as a a spiritual soul. My soul and my body are two different things. So whatever actions I make in my body, whether it's what I eat, whether it's how I behave, whether it's in sexual sin, that makes no difference because my soul is separate from my body. So if you have my soul separate from my body, so my bo- I can do anything in my body, doesn't really make any difference to my spiritual life, then they also say, "Because I'm free in Jesus, I have license, what does that end up being? I can live however I like." And you end up with a slogan which is, "Everything is permissible." You've got to say it's a bit of a winning, winning slogan, isn't it? <laughs> do whatever you like. Jesus is on your team. Woohoo. We're good. And Paul is trying to say to them, that's not quite the case. And without unfolding everything that Paul says, he gets to the end and he says this. Do you not know that your temple is a, your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. God raised you out of darkness. I've bought your soul for God. We are freed by what Jesus has done, and grace frees us from sin and guilt and pain and punishment. But you know what? Grace holds us captive. We're held by grace. We can't keep living the way we did because grace holds us captive. As we come to this moment the interesting thing about the Victor Hugo story is it ends up with three kind of key characters which in a way gives us three questions and the 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 bishop the character of the bishop who extends to a guy who had done him wrong grace and forgiveness and love and care that breaks the cycle of outreach outrage exactly what Victor Hugo wanted for his nation exactly what Paul wanted for the Corinthian church, exactly what Jesus wants for us, exactly what Brent extended to Amber Geiger. The question is, are you able to extend grace? Where do you need to extend grace? I often think about extending grace and forgiveness It's a little like talking about suffering Suffering and forgiveness for me are a bit the same in the sense that if you're not suffering and and there's nobody in your life that you really need to forgive, then it's an academic question, isn't it? It's a theological discussion. We talk about should we extend forgiveness? How would we extend forgiveness? What's suffering like? Can we cope with suffering? And while ever it's an academic question, it's a nice thing to talk about. It's different when it's personal, isn't it? different when you ask, can I forgive? Can I extend grace? Am I able to do that? Because in our earlier series, we talked to Miroslav Wolf, who talks about the fact that his younger brother was killed by the negligence of some Yugoslavian soldiers. And during the day, his mum would forgive the soldiers. And in the middle of the night, she would take it back and, and it's this constant tussle between extending grace and wanting to see justice. We are wired to see justice. Every bit in us wants to see justice. we are going to hang out for justice. But God is calling us to extend grace. You know what's intriguing about the Amber Geiger story? She was extended forgiveness and grace by Brant Jean. But guess where she is today? She's in jail. That didn't mean the punishment didn't have to be born in the legal system. Nobody's saying that the legal system shouldn't do its work. And and extending grace and forgiveness does not mean that, therefore, the the processes of law shouldn't happen. But where is the call of grace on your life? And is, is, is our hearts a little like Javert, where we are so keen to see justice happen that we can't let anything ever go. We can't give anybody a second chance. we have burnt too many times, and we need to break that cycle, because if we don't, the outrage culture of our community will continue, because we're a part of it. And finally, Valjean, who's extended grace, and doesn't see it as a license for freedom, but sees it as an opportunity for a fresh start, He's captured by grace. He lives it out in his life, as imperfect as any human can do it. And he extends it to other people. Because grace was not about license and freedom. Grace was about being captured by the grace and love of God. You know, for those of you who've come this morning and your grandchild who's just turned up, or the grandparent who's supported your family and you're not sure where faith is for you, and you're kind of wondering about the whole Christian thing, and what, what does all this mean? It would be wrong of me to leave today without, without asking this question. Do you need to ex- accept the grace extended to you? Every one of us makes, needs to make a choice. Everybody sort of stands, as it were, at the crossroad. Every one of us needs to look into the face of Jesus and ask, what's my response to the grace offered to me? Some other time might be your time. For some now might be your time. You've dabbled in this. You've thought about this. You've come to church now and then. And you feel God is speaking to you. And what I want to say to you, sorry about that. What I want to say to you is grace is extended. Grace is still extended and grace is extended now. Not because you're good, not because you're right, not because you get it all right all the time. But because God is reaching out to you. And it's not a license just to live however you like. It's about being captured by grace. Is this your moment? I want you to take a moment to pray. The brand's going to join me. Don't be disturbed as the brand comes up and we prepare to wrap the service up. Let's take a moment to pray. I want to pray in two areas. Is extending grace to somebody else your challenge today? Is that what God is saying to you today? Is that what the message today is for you? I want to pray for you. We all want to pray for you. If we could, we'd wrap our arms around you right now because this is really hard and difficult and painful. Lord, for those struggling with forgiveness and extending grace to other people this morning, that this is not an academic question but a real personal deep challenge we pray for them we pray in this moment they would feel your love and your grace and your mercy wrapping them around like arms around them we pray that you'd give them the ability to extend the grace that each of us have received we pray that if they can't do it completely they take steps in that direction we pray that the hold that unforgiveness and anger holds on people's hearts today would be broken. Fresh start. And Lord, for those of us who need to accept your grace anew and you afresh this morning, not as licensed, but as captured by the grace of God. If that's you, why don't you pray with me? Lord, I give my life to you today. I accept personally your forgiveness. I want to step into your grace. And I pray that my life may reflect the grace that I've received.
0: Amen. Thanks, mate. If you this morning know that uh, God is speaking to you and perhaps you prayed that prayer this morning from your heart saying, God, I want to receive that grace from you. We have some Bible gift packs here and we'd love to give this to you as a free gift this morning. In it is a Bible some other information there to help you on this journey it explains more of the grace of God that you can know personally in your own life and I really want to encourage you if that's you you know God's been speaking to you just to come we'll just have them down the front here there's some in the foyer as well just let someone know I want to grab one of those Bible gift packs we'd love you to take that if you'd like to know more we'd love to share with you as well we're going to stand as we conclude our service this morning we're going to sing of the grace of our Saviour Jesus and all that He's done for us why don't we stand together on our feet as we respond in worship this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the name that is above every other name. Your name, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you left all the glory of heaven, that you stepped into this world, that you went to the cross, Lord, to reveal how much you love us, to make a way, to pay the price that we deserve. You rose again so that we might have new life in you. It's all through your grace, Lord. For those of us here today who know this message, Lord, I pray that we'll grab hold of this afresh in our hearts, Lord, that it will compel us to want to live for you with all of our hearts, Lord. A love response, great God. To live for you, to share others this good news, we pray. For those maybe this morning for the first time responding to this message, I pray you'll bless them, fill them with the awareness of your nearness, your presence, the joy that comes from being in relationship with you, the Creator, God. Incredible, Lord. What an incredible blessing to be able to know this in our lives. And so we thank you. Thank you for our time together. Bless even now our conversations in the courtyard. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Please be seated. There is a fantastic Ford custom line, 1950s utility out the front there. If you want to grab a photo with your family in front of that, you're welcome. Thanks to Neil Gudenswager here in the church who's put that there for us. Tea and coffee in the courtyard as well. God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us.